This is Sunday Letters, the weekly newsletter on life, work and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Larry McGuire. Sunday Letters has been on the go since 2015 in written form and more recently in audio form. And you'll find no advertising here, no marketing, no round-the-corner attempts by third parties to sell you stuff you don't need and part you from your cash. Instead, this show is about content of a deeper nature. Stuff that keeps me up at night. Stuff that I spend hours and days researching, writing, editing, recording. And all because I think it's worth sharing. I think it's worth your consideration. And if you enjoy the stuff that I do, if you like what I write and enjoy what I record, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. It costs a fiver a month or 50 a year. And you'll help me create more time to make stuff like this. Get over to sundayletters.larrygmaguire.com to show your support for the show. So, here's this week's edition. Good day to you. Welcome to Sunday Letters. I'm Larry Maguire. This week brings to a conclusion the series on leadership, ethical leadership. And the title of today's essay is New Capitalism and the Conflict of Interests. And I believe that work, when we enter the workplace, there is invariably a conflict of interest. Uh, The individual, be they they in leadership or management or just a general foot foot soldier in the business, um, we have to encounter or deal with this conflict on a daily basis. Do we do what's right for us, what's right for the individual, what our humanity tells us is right, or do we do what's right for the corporation, for the business, for the sake of profit? And when we're put in that situation, and when the imperative is that of the business, we generally go in favour of the business and against what our humanity might suggest is right. And then we convince ourselves that the decision was okay, that I did the right thing, or I was only doing my job, you know, when the shit hits the fan. And over the last number of weeks, probably months since I started this series, uh, I've brought you examples of how ethics become irrelevant or are sidelined in favor of what's best for the business. And people suffer. The environment suffers. And I think when we talk about uh, wellness and the lack of wellness in the workplace and all these initiatives that are put in place to make the workplace better for people, it's really just uh, window dressing. For me, because the imperative of the business of the corporation to make money, make money always holds and everything else is cast aside for the sake of that. A corporation will very rarely take on an initiative that costs them money. If if a, an intervention or a program or an initiative of some sort um doesn't ultimately bring about profit for the business in some way, um, well, then it's unlikely they'll do it because corporations exist to make money. And I'm a little bit cynical about it, um, but how can you not be? I mean, we always, we see from the stories that shared with you that it, it only becomes apparent the, the breach of ethical guidelines or our own personal ethics um, only after the fact, only after we realise, oh, actually, you know what, um, what I did was wrong there, or someone else brings us the task over it. 
uh, and that's a that's a shame but i think it's uh, an aspect of how we live it's not only corporations it's human beings um uh, ordinary everyday human beings as we walk around and do our business we make decisions based on uh the aversion of loss you know we don't want to lose face we don't want to lose money we don't want to lose and so sometimes we're willing to sacrifice other people in the process now human beings are perfectly capable of doing really good things and it, that's demonstrated on a daily basis too but um i feel from my time in business having employed other people having been uh, in the position where the company has to make money to survive uh, and made decisions that maybe i wouldn't make today and um, it seems quite obvious to me that it's it's a daily occurrence and it's very prominent in how we live that people are willing often to sacrifice their humanity for the sake of material gain or lack of loss of material gain, if that makes sense. So this week's article is, I think, seventh in the series, uh, if you include the prelude article, uh, where I'm highlighting this problem. And um, although you could say I'm a little bit cynical about it, um, really, I mean, if the floor has fallen out from under you, it doesn't do you any favors to ignore it and, and just pretend that everything is rosy when it's not, you know. So this week, uh, it is new capitalism and the conflict of interest, the conflict that we all uh, have to deal with, I believe, on a daily basis. So without further ado, let's get into it. New Capitalism and the Conflict of Interests. This week's Sunday Letters brings you the final part of the leadership series. It's a shorter piece than previous weeks. And in it, I take somewhat a cynical look at the trend amongst corporates to promote worker well-being and environmental initiatives. Are their efforts mere window dressing? I think so. Because when it comes down to it, there is, above all else, the imperative for profit. In this series on leadership, I have examined events from the past, offered expert opinion and referenced psychological research to demonstrate that in the pursuit of the corporate aim, leaders often take unmitigated risks. Their sense of humanity and concern for others only reaches so far until the well-being of the organisation and their own survival takes precedence. It is a phenomenon of the way we live and it is, unfortunately, alive and well. To overcome it, we've got to live by our own personal values hold to our own individual mind and always be vigilant. The alternative is to be swept along by a mentality that's not of our own making. I'm a student of work and organisational psychology. The material has content, context for me given my 20 years of self-employment and it has helped me frame many of my personal experiences running a business. It has helped me better understand my decisions over the years, both good and bad. In many cases, if I had to do it all over again, I would most certainly be better equipped. Youth tends not to furnish us with the wherewithal necessary for creating favourable outcomes. It's only with the experience of getting it wrong that we have the opportunity to learn something about ourselves. I say opportunity because without the benefit of new information and a degree of self-awareness, we often end up making the same mistakes over and over. Within the field of work, and organizational psychology, there is an intense effort to, over, to overcome and to understand 
the personal and environmental conditions leading to reduced worker well-being. Corporate leaders have come to understand that knowledge of the causes of stress, anxiety, depression and burnout amongst their staff can inform solutions to those problems. Solutions drive higher performance and subsequently corporate profit. As such, organisations invest heavily in the area and one might assume that staff well-being in itself was of primary concern. But I've always been a little cynical in that regard and so less inclined to take that premise at face value. Besides, the best will and intent in the world often gives way to the commercial demands of operating a business. Sure, people care for people and the environment, but corporations? I'm not so certain. In the pursuit of profit, the efforts of corporations to ensure the well-being of staff and the environment often amount to nothing more than window dressing. In his book, The New Corporation, Joel Bacon writes of the case of BP under the leadership of Lord John Brown. Brown took over BP as CEO in 95, growing the company from a two-pipeline concern to one of the world's largest oil and gas producers. However, that growth came at a cost. Several major disasters occurred, including the 2005 Texas City explosion, where 15 people died. The following year, the Thunder Horse Rig in the Gulf of Mexico sank due to poor construction. And at Alaska's North Slope, a poorly maintained pipeline resulted in the largest ever spill in the region. But these events were only the warm-up to the 2010 Deepwater Horizon explosion that destroyed the ecosystem in the Gulf of Mexico. Backhand cites Nancy Levison, an industrial safety expert at MIT, who advised the National Commission investigating the Deepwater Horizon spill. She said, They, BP, were producing a lot of standards, but many were not very good, and many were irrelevant. Before the Deepwater Horizon accident, Levison had apparently told colleagues that BP was an accident waiting to happen. BP had been focused on the personal safety of workers, but not on process safety. Adequately formed and applied process safety procedures are likely to have prevented the disasters and loss of life at Texas City and Deepwater Horizon. But these process safety measures, Bakken argues, were too expensive. Worker safety is easier and less expensive to apply, but safety measures related to the maintenance of pipelines, drilling leagues and wells are not. Costs were cut in the pursuit of market share and increased profit. For example, in Texas City, the plant's process safety budget was cut twice, once in 98 by 25% and again in 2005 by another 25% just before the explosion. Adding further insult to the loss of life, three further deaths occurred at the Texas City plant. The US Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board report found that BP did not take effective steps to avoid the risk of a catastrophic event occurring. The bottom line here is that John Brown, through his commitment and ambition, was blinkered to the practical measures required to maintain the safety of his employees and the environment. His role as CEO was to pursue shareholder profit while externalising as much of the cost of business as possible. He seemed to have done this very well, but at an enormous cost to others. Joel Bakken sums up the PP story and suggests, People who manage and run large publicly traded corporations like Lord Brown are not guided by their own lights. Whatever their personal values and ideas might be, when they go to work at their companies, they are bound to the rules of the game. 
their decisions must always advance their company's financial interests and hence that of their shareholders. The corporate form is agnostic about how they do it, but they must do it. Leadership seems to be a different animal inside a corporation than outside it. Once inside it, as Lord Brown's case with BP indicates, the leader is bound by the rules of the game, no matter what the impact on human life and the planet. He was willing to take unmitigated risks to do his job. I'm sure he felt remorse for the loss of life. I hope he did. But that offers nothing in the face of the imperative he is obliged to uphold, the pursuit of profit. No matter how remorseful leaders may seem to be at the loss of human life or damage to our environment, they have to get over it to do their job. That is the limit placed on them if they are to function successfully in the corporate world. The risk to your employees' lives may not be high in your case, but their well-being is always at risk. It is a limit placed on everyone who operates in the corporate world, no matter what the role they play. And we almost always are asked to sacrifice something of ourselves in the doing of the job. Work demands us to forgo our humanity for the sake of profit, stock options or wages. Whatever the reward may be, you can't take the job without adopting a new self, a different self, and subjugating your emotions to the rule of the unspoken neoliberal law. I believe, however, that it's only a matter of time before our compromise of personal values and ethics catches up with us. We live in an inherently conflicted state where personal interests are at odds with those of the working role. On the one hand, we have concern for other human beings and the planet upon which we live, and on the other, we cast those concerns aside for the sake of the worker image and material gain. I believe this game is at the root of all stress, anxiety and ill health in the workplace, and we can't sustain it. In my opinion, our efforts to counter this ill health are merely a sticking plaster on an open wound. We cannot continue to take living, breathing organisms, place them in fake plastic environments such as the workplace, and expect them to be healthy. Something has to change in how we see ourselves and the roles we play in society. So what can we do as leaders? I believe personal ethics and values have to take centre stage in our decision making. Otherwise, we get swept along by the momentum of a soulless entity that exists for the accumulation of mere symbols of health, wealth and well-being. Thanks for listening to this week's Sunday Letters. I've hope, I hope you have enjoyed the seven or so essays on leadership over the last couple of months and you gained something from them. Uh, I certainly have in researching and writing them. Um, it's a topic that's very important to me and I suppose always was, but when you're put in a position or you put yourself in the position that uh, you've got to make a profit and the, comp- the business must survive, uh, you take shortcuts um, and they can backfire, you know. So you've always got to be on your guard uh, about your on, on your guard with yourself, I mean. And if you're leading an organization, your own personal values have to come first. I mean, we can't ignore the fact we're human beings. And often in business, we are asked to do just that. It's only business after all, you know, don't take a person. It's just business, you know, and it just allows us to uh, carry on with some really questionable behaviors. Um, 
I'm not sure how we currently operate uh, the capitalist model, this kind of neoliberal, everyone can be wealthy, everyone can be successful, uh, you just have to work hard, you know, all this, this idea. Uh, I'm not sure with that idea that we can actually um, do the best for one another. It's just my opinion. Um, but we can individually. I mean, you can and I can. And that's why I've been an advocate for self-employment for so long. So when, when you work for yourself, even if you're just uh, a solo player, whether you're a freelancer or a consultant or, or, or in some other way work for yourself alone, um, you might never be a millionaire. You might be if you use your money right. But you don't have to be. I mean, why do we have to be so wealthy? Why do we put a figure on it? I think when we do that, we're willing to forego those things that are really most important to us. We just put them aside for a minute and take a chance. For example, someone says to you, oh, uh, just make that just make that invoice out to such and such or put an extra 500 in that on that invoice. And. Uh, and I look after you, you know, when you know in yourself that that's the wrong thing to do, because, you know, there's something going on that's just a little bit fishy. Uh, but you you go against your better judgment and you do it anyway. And then the shit hits the fan and you get caught and you have some explaining to do, you know. Anyway, um, that's all I've got for you this week. Uh, next week uh, and over the coming weeks and months, I'll be writing about performance and the psychology of performance. I'll be talking about and writing about psychological skills such as, uh, well, I'll get into that uh, later. But um, the content will be coming to you from uh, a site called The Performatist. I've directed you to there, directed you there before with content, uh, and I'll have more of an emphasis on that site over the next couple of months because it's the direction I'm taking my work. So uh, keep an earball out for that. Um, I'll continue to post here on Sunday Letters, but maybe to a lesser extent because uh, there's only so much time uh, in the week and um, well, that's just the way it is when you work for yourself. You've got to be selective about where you put your, your energy. So anyway, thanks for listening this week. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, I'll see you uh, in about seven days time, if not during the week. And uh, if you happen to like the content that I produce here, the articles that I write, the audio that I record and so on, please consider becoming a supporter of Sunday Letters. It costs five a month. Uh, in fact, today I think you can get it for four quid a month um, and uh, your support will help me create more time to do this uh, stuff and research and write this material and if you're currently a contributor well uh, I greatly appreciate it so that's all I've got for you this Sunday uh, keep yourselves well and speak to you soon all the best